Houston Dynamo, Portland Timbers, Sporting Kansas, Los Angeles Galaxy, HMAS, Toronto FC, Salt Lake, Chicago Fire, Pitch Pass, your all-access credential to the people that matter in MLS. Here's your host, Greg Roach. Welcome to Pitch Pass. How are you? Good, 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 good. There is a lot going on in the world, and I think that we need to talk to an expert in the world of American soccer, and specifically MLS. That's what we're going to do in just a few moments. But first, got to tell you to go to PitchPass.com. If you've downloaded the show through iTunes, then you didn't need to go to PitchPass.com. But I would ask you to go there. And if you did download through iTunes, thank you for subscribing there. We're hopefully making it a little bit easier for you and your friends to find uh, through iTunes, and hopefully that'll happen sometime later on this week. If you do want to spread the word about the show, we'd appreciate it. One of the best and easiest ways for you is when you get the show through iTunes, rate it. And if you could leave a comment in the comment section, that will be even better. But once you go to PitchPass.com, you'll see that it's not just this podcast. It's also uh, some some blogs, some columns written by the great Sebastian Salazar of Comcast Sportsnet Houston and some other things as well. So make sure you get to PitchPass.com. There was my plug. Now, let's get into the show. I told you we needed to bring in an expert on American soccer and specifically MLS. He's actually an expert for NBC Sports Network, not just in American soccer, but now for their Barclays Premier League coverage. He is Kyle Martino, and he joins us right now on Pitch Pass. How are you? I'm good. I was I was actually looking at some pictures that Aleko Eskandarian posted last week on Twitter on his Instagram account, and you were featured in one of them. I guess, I don't know if you guys were in some sort of youth tournament or whatever, but it was interesting to just to see you guys as, as youngsters. And then it kind of hit me, you could still be out there playing. Do you think about that often? Uh, I did when I when I first stopped playing. I would say t- maybe uh, two thousand twelve when I went for a jog and got so winded that I needed <laughs> to stop halfway through and just walk home. I realized that uh, those playing days are done, man. Well, let me ask you: What do you think? Where do you think you would be right now if you were still playing? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, th- there was a lot of build up towards uh, the end of the end of uh, the sort of uh, World Cup cycle right before I hurt my uh, hip the first time I'd gotten my uh, my Italian citizenship and was uh, gonna try to make the move and uh, and go overseas and never really recovered from that hip and just had injury after injury uh, hurt my ankle really bad in the Confederations Cup and you know, everything sort of just got blurry after that and, and, you know, completely derailed. So it's hard to imagine what would have happened if that first bad hip injury didn't, didn't happen. But, uh, you know, I mean, I would have loved to have been, uh, the type of guy that, uh, that Landon Donovan's been, which is, you know, an ambassador for this league and, you know, spent your whole career here and found a team that uh, you loved, that loved you back, and uh, won trophies with it. That's interesting that you would say that, Kyle, because I was reading between the lines on your comment, and I was just assuming that your next comment was going to be, well, I probably will be signing a $5 million DP contract like Clint Dempsey did as a returning hero to uh, MLS. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's you know it's funny when I when I first got into the league, my, I have a total it's a total paradigm shift. I have a new view because when I first got into the league, 
um, you know, it really was looked at as a stepping stone. It was looked at as this is where I'll start, and then hopefully I can progress enough to make the U.S. team. And once I make the U.S. team, I can make the jump to Europe. And I just, I don't know if young Americans are are, are thinking that way anymore. And I think the Clint Dempsey contract is uh, is definitely the first big initiative from Major League Soccer to turn the heads of these young kids and say, listen, you don't have to go over there to make, you know, big money or uh, get on the U.S. team. You know, two of the best uh, American soccer players right now, I'd say two out of the three, are playing in, in Major League Soccer, and a lot of young, bright stars are signing these big contracts. So, you know, it's funny. Back then, of course, I probably would have said right when I got in the league, you know, the, the dream is to get to Europe. The dream is to play in the Premier League. The dream is to play overseas. Um, but there's been a paradigm shift lately, and, you know, I'm thinking on the new wavelengths as opposed to what what my thoughts would have been way back then. Yeah, and, you know, I have a couple more questions about your, your career and, and your post-career, but you brought up a point that is, I think, is really, really interesting. And especially, I know you don't want to disparage any current players, but you look at someone like Juan Aguadelo, who seems like his only goal is that kind of old school thinking of all I'm doing is using this league to get overseas. And I think back in the day, and when I say back in the day, even five years ago, we could look at at, at his move and say to say to ourselves, okay, look, maybe he won't develop to the optimal player that he could have been if he'd stayed in MLS, but he's going to get paid. He doesn't have to worry about his future uh, after his playing days are over. But five years later, are we still in that situation? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's hard to it's hard to um, turn down a move to the biggest league in the world. I mean, no no one's going to sit and argue that the Premier League isn't the biggest league in the world. So let's just all accept that. And the fact that moving from MLS to the Premier League is a step up, of course. Um, but if he goes over there and doesn't play, you know, if, I mean, if he goes over there and sits on the bench, and uh, and what happens to him ends up being what happened to a player like Eddie Johnson, yeah. you know, is it worth it? Like, I mean, it was. Yeah, of course, you want to say that you did it, and you want to say that you gave it a shot. But what happens, you know, Eddie Johnson's actually an anomaly. I mean, to to be able to come back and have a resurgence like he's had. Is, is absolutely incredible, but a lot of people go over there, it doesn't pan out, they don't play a lot, they lose some development, they have uh, a drop in confidence, and that's kind of the last you hear of them sometimes. You look at a guy like like Breck Shea and the situation he's in, I know injuries are playing a big role. You look at Freddie, who probably is the poster boy for this type of conversation. Uh, how many more guys do you think need to go over there and do that, a.k.a. get the big money deal? You say the biggest league in the world, but if, if you're playing in the reserve team, if that for the biggest league in the world, are you playing in the biggest league in the world? When you can look back and you look at a guy like Chris Pontius, who just signed a deal for over $300,000, you look at what maybe uh, what they're saying. Graham Zussi is another one. You look at you look at the next generation guys who are Aguadella's age, like Okogu, and you think to yourself, what kind of deal is he going to get when he's, his deal's up? to stay in the U.S. and you think to yourself, well, is, is a $350,000 contract that that much of a problem when you're 22 years old and it's a three-year deal and then you can go over to 25 and then even if you want to make more money, that's opportunity still available for you? Is that a problem? No, it's definitely not a problem. But, you know, I think the one thing to play devil's advocate these players would say to you is, who knows if this opportunity pops up again? You know, I mean, who knows if, and I, and I could easily comment on that, 
you know, who knows what my career would have been like if I didn't uh, tear my hip that first time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, it, part of me would say, man, I really wish I would have gone over there before I hurt myself, and who knows what would have happened. But, uh, you know, it, that, that's, I think, the tough one that, that you'll, you'll hear a lot of young kids say is, this might be my only chance, this is a window, i got to take it. But I think the, the backup plan in, in these young American players' minds of MLS is not is not a huge as big of a drop off or as large of a variance um, as uh, as it was in the past. I mean, it's it's a great plan B, and a lot of these guys like Graham Zusi and Omar Gonzalez are showing that it's their plan A. Let's talk about Omar Gonzalez for a second. To me, that was even a bigger deal than the Clint Dempsey deal. Clint Dempsey is Clint Dempsey. He's a forward. He is one of the most decorated American soccer players in the history of of the sport and the country. Uh, Omar Gonzalez is a guy who hasn't proved himself on the big stage yet. He he is a first team or a first choice selection for for Jurgen Klinsmann right now. But that's that's in Concacaf. We haven't seen him up on the international stage. Uh, to me, that's a bigger deal. That signing is a bigger deal than Clint Dempsey. Do you agree or disagree? Um, you know, I, I agree in terms of of um, you know the 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 retention of young up and coming talent. I think the Clint Dempsey signing will have a greater effect. Uh, a ripple effect and will affect more around the sort of message of, you know, star American players in MLS. But as far as young players coming up, we just talked about the Omar Gonzalez's of the past. You know, when Carlos Bocanegra was here, you know, he played his contract out and, uh, and, and went over, went overseas and thought, you know, if I really get MLS, um, I'm going to get locked up. I can't leave. So you always saw these players in the past that would say, I'm not going to sign a new deal. It doesn't matter what it is. I want to go. And now you're seeing young guys say, listen, I'm going to sign a deal because we know a market. People are coming after American players. They're okay paying a $4 million transfer fee when no one would have done that in the past. So I think the reason it helps is because it's a defender, like you said. I mean, DP American defender. Yeah. You, you thought it'd be 10 years from now before we were saying that word. And also, this is really smart for Omar because it's a World Cup year. He's playing really well for the LA Galaxy. Bruce Arena is a terrific coach, coach, the best coach I've ever had. And, uh, you know, why, why shake things up when you're putting yourself in a great position to potentially start the center back position at, at, at the World Cup in Brazil? But also, well, he's got some developing to do. You know, I think so much of Omar Gonzalez, I think he's going to be a terrific player. He can eventually play in any league around the world. But I think he's still got a little bit of developing to do, and LA Galaxy is the perfect place for him to do it. I don't believe I'm going to say this because I've always been a proponent of of players making as much money as possible, and I, I still think that way. But uh, there is a part of me that thinks to myself, is this escalating too quickly? You said this probably wouldn't be something that we could foresee until ten years down the road. A, a defender, an American defender, getting a DP contract. Well, we've got it now, and it's it's a significant one if the if the rumors are to be believed. Does that is that a bad omen for the future as far as the league having to pay money out that maybe it doesn't have right now? No, I don't think so. You know, I think the league um, is they have a, a major initiative um, right now, and, and they're demonstrating it with the, the retention funds that they've added to to keep young, uh, talented American players that are breaking into the U.S. national team that are U.S. national team. Uh, 
starters. And, you know, Graham Zussi and Omar Gonzalez are the first sort of two examples for me of this new move to say, let's lock these guys up. Let's show them that, that we believe in them. We'll invest in them. And we're not going to buy them back, you know, for, for five, ten years from now. We're going to keep them here. So I think that the investment they're making right now um, is not nearly as much as the investment they have to make to bring a lot of these guys back, especially when you look at what just happened with Clint. So you let Omar, you let Omar Gonzalez go, and if you want to get him back in the league and he's the captain for the U.S. national team one day or you know he's the center back starting for Inter Milan or yeah. wherever he is, uh, you're going to have to pay through the roof to try to bring him back to the league at that point. So just don't even let him go in the first place. Interesting question for you. Um, just reading between the lines on conversations that we've had in the past. Where are you with the union releasing player salary? Is that a good thing in your mind as a former player or is that something that, that causes some more problems than it's worth? Uh, it was a necessary thing um, because, you know, I, I completely understand and um, and uh, appreciate the MLS and their need to uh, minimize costs and to try to keep salaries low. I completely get the business aspect of that. But the tough part that was happening for players is they had no negotiating power because it was a single entity. And MLS would kind of sometimes play this good cop, bad cop with club teams and say, we want to pay you, but your club doesn't. The club would say, we want to pay you, but the MLS doesn't. So it was necessary for players to understand what what another player with the same goals or assists or getting into the national team and caps or whatever it was, the metrics you use to try to measure your value. You could see now what some of those guys were making across the league. And now finally you could really go in and have – a little bit of uh, of negotiating power because without without teams and free uh, agency and teams being able to grab you if another team won't pay you, you you really had no way of trying to up your earning potential. So it was necessary back then. As the money gets big, it will become and as free agency comes in, it will become like uh, Major League Baseball and NBA and NFL where. You know, it's not released and people try to take a guess, but I, I think it's still necessary for guys that really want to try to get some earning potential. How far away do you think we are from a fourth DP or maybe even a fifth DP in the league? A fourth D, You said fourth DP? Yes. You mean per team? Per team. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, don't think, I don't think we're too far. I think, that, I think the DP thing is, um, is right now, I think it was necessary because not one player can change a team. You know, you can't go buy Lothar Mateus and some of these guys that they tried to buy and think that was going to make a big difference. So the three, um, I, I thought, was, uh, was, was a stretch for them when they first let them do it. Eventually what's going to happen before they start adding more DPs, they're going to unlock this thing and let owners kind of go do what they want and then give them a sort of uh, – uh, a, a cap to work within, um, but say, listen, if you want to go spend money to get someone here, that's great, but this is kind of where the salaries have to be. I think that happens before we get to five, six, seven, eight DPs. I yeah. think eventually they just say, all right, owners, go for it. Well, you know, and that, there's a great follow-up. So what do you think the tipping point is to the DPs don't make sense anymore? Here's here's a cap, and let's let's just make sure we stay on the cap. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, I, I, Don Garber, I, I give him so much credit. It's not, it's been a very difficult job, and uh, he's had to take some educated risks a lot of times. And I, I would say the majority of the time they've paid off um, and they've come through, and his risks have helped the league. And, 
you know, but he's been smart about it. He, he knew that the ultimate uh, death of the league would be to unlock things too early yeah. and, uh, you know, spend way more than could sustain this, uh, this league. So, it, it, I, I have no idea. It's so hard to, to guess when. I'm sure they've got some sort of, uh, you know, guru marketing accounting department that's figuring out where when's the threshold to, to flip the switch. But uh, I have no idea when it is. You know, and I talked to Brian Strauss last week of Sports Illustrated about this. And it, for me, it's hard to reconcile. It's the same thing with the with the players getting paid. I want my league to be here for the long haul, 20 years down the road. Um, and if we have salaries uh, that are escalating out of control, when we, st- we we dump the single entity model, we, we go to a, a hard cap that's raised enough so that you can afford, you know, multiple multi-million dollar players. And then we don't have the league in, in five years. That'll be a disappointment. I don't want this to be an NASL situation. Um, am, am I crazy to think that way? Or, or do the safeguards in place kind of protect the league from being uh, a short-term failure for long-term success? Well, I mean, it's absolutely necessary now because, um, you know, if you look at the growth of the league attendance, season ticket holders – I mean the, the 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 stadiums coming in, the investment, hundred million dollars from the Manchester City and the uh, Sheikh Mansour Abu Dhabi Royal Family. I mean, th- there are so many signs that this thing's headed in the right direction. The last thing that really needs to come, which is ironic because that's my department, yep. is the ratings need to start yep. going up. And once that happens, that's what's going to start to flood capital into this thing that, that will, I think, finally give them the confidence to flip the switch where this thing can sustain itself. And you can let you know, billionaires go spend money and it's their, you know, it's, it's their pocket. If they lose that investment, it's, it's on them, but you'll have a league that has a lot of capital pumping in, um, to, uh, to the teams based on, on huge TV, uh, rights that get renegotiated every three years and keep going up and keep pumping money back into the league. So what you're saying is we can remove the safeguards when we have the TV revenue to justify the fact that we don't need the safeguards. Sure, because at this point the gate is doing really well, right? I mean, yeah. there's you know season ticket holders at in Seattle they have more for the Sounders than they do for the Seahawks. I mean, there's there's all of these examples of how well at the gate um, and in other areas of the business these teams are doing. You know, the last piece, which has to, which is obviously going to be the most important, is um, you know ratings need to start going up. I mean, they've definitely been increasing, but we need to see. Um, you know, big numbers and people watching and enjoying this game. You know, when you when you see the World Cup numbers, and you see that around the world, I mean, it absolutely trumps the Super Bowl. I mean, crushes it. I mean, more more people watch the World Cup around the world. I mean, it's like twenty times what the Super Bowl is. So if we can get this league on the level that it's actually even appealing to, and David Beckham was the first time they did that, appealing to an international market, the globalization of these media rights and everything you're seeing with the Premier League is is a huge moneymaker. And, you know, that's, that's going to be the end game. When they say they want to be one of the biggest leagues in the world in 2020, you know, the, the America's the best sporting market in the world. Now they just got to sort of get everything to start moving in the directions where they can unlock it and let that money flow in. But 
who knows when it happens. Hopefully it happens soon. And that's the concern, at least the, the way that I think about it is, you know, we, we can we can we can tout Seattle's attendance all we want. We can talk about Portland's atmosphere all we want. We can talk about the resurgence of Sporting Kansas City after their rebrand. And that's all fine and dandy. We can we can be happy or at least optimistic about DC United finally getting a stadium. But you know, as an MLS snob, I, I kind of I look at other leagues throughout the country, throughout the world, but I don't try to follow them as hardcore as my own league. But I, I did happen to switch by and saw um, Chivas play Puebla on TV. There were like seven people in the stands for that match, and <laughs> yeah. I think to myself, well, this atmosphere stinks. But then I also think to myself, there are probably. 10 million people watching this match on TV, which reinforces the whole TV ratings matter more than what's going on actually in the stadiums. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the trouble is, you know, the incumbents that we're trying to knock out have been here for hundreds of years. I mean, you're trying to take out something that is so inherently American. um, And, you know, that's no easy battle. We've watched it happen. We've watched, you know, year after year, decade after decade, uh, people unwilling to give the world's game a chance because of the threat it poses to a sport that they hold dear, that their father, their father's father, their father's father passed down to them. I want to get into um, your experiences uh, on the first weekend for Barclays Premier League with NBC Sports Network's coverage. But first, I do want to ask you one more thing about uh, MLS, and that would be Landon Donovan's contract uh, as it comes up at the end of the year. What are you feeling like, what is your gut telling you that where he will be um, come March of 2014? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, talking about money and, and everything getting announced, you know, I, I, uh, I'm i sure, well, let me not speak for Landon. If I was Landon, I would look at that and be a little bit upset because of everything I've done for the league and uh, all the dedication and the talent that, that he has and the level of his soccer, um, you know, to be making a fraction of what some of these other guys are making, you know, I'm sure would, would bother me a little bit. Um, I mean, granted, he's still living really well and making a lot of money. But, uh, you know, I think for the first time with his contract coming up, come, uh, expiring after this year, I, this is the first time I really feel like it's a, it's a possibility that, that Landon will head over there and, and, and make it a permanent thing, not alone. Um, because he's playing some of the best soccer. You know, he's played at a hat trick the game before last, uh, had a terrific gold cup. He's really enjoying his soccer. And I, you know, I, I saw it kind of fade for him a little bit because it did for me. I, you know, I started to lose that love and I could see it with him. Um, and I definitely see that spark on his eye and that enjoyment back. Um, so at the end of this year, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Landon made the hop overseas. Okay. And I would understand that. And if I, again, if I'm Landon, I, I agree with you. I, I'm looking at people's salaries and thinking to myself, wait a second, I, I need to be one of the, the highest paid players, not in the top, whatever. Um, he was higher paid than almost everybody else coming into this contract. He he saw the contract. You know, you could argue that his contract is coming up at at the perfect time with the, with the way the salaries have escalated and what Clint Dempsey's returned. But I would also then on the other side argue, well, 
he's not 27 years old trying to go overseas. He's 31, going to be 32 years old trying to go overseas. The Everton door, I would think, would be closed because David Moyes is at Manchester United. And I also don't think David Moyes brings in a 32-year-old American player to play in Manchester United to play. So how many options or how much leverage do you think he has with the league as he tries to negotiate a better deal uh, as opposed to going overseas? Oh, I, you know, I think there's going to be plenty of options. And, you know, if you believe what, what Landon and, uh, and his agent have said recently, that they've already received some of those offers and things have already been coming in from overseas and they already have those options. So, um, you know, of course, it's a World Cup year, which, which sort of heightens and, and uh, makes everything a little bit crazier. But um, he'll, the options will be there. You know, to go play for Manchester United, no, that option is definitely not going to be there. But, you know, to go play for a, for a lower table Premier League team, I do think that option could be there for Landon. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as Everton's concerned, I know Moyes isn't there anymore, but the Everton fans absolutely yes. loved Landon and would welcome him, welcome him back with open arms. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting because I'd love to see Landon stay here. You know, he's, been, he's done so much for this league. Why not finish it off? Um, but I understand why he wants to, to, to go over if he's considering it. And I also uh, understand why he'd be hearing those offers out. And if, if, you know, the MLS comes up with some more money for him, of course he's probably going to consider that and, and think about finishing his career in L.A. But um, for the first time ever, I do think that the chances are, are better than they've been in the past, that he's actually – going to give this thing a shot and go over there. And as I sit here and think about it, you could make a case and you could probably be proven wrong, but you could make a case that a 32-year-old American making a big money move to even a mid-table Premier League team is just as big a deal as Clint Dempsey coming back for a big money deal. You don't see a lot of guys in their 30s make moves to to Premier League and you definitely never see it with Americans. No, yeah, it would be it would be uh it would be pretty unique. Um but you know, I think I think Landon definitely uh can do it. I think he'd be successful if he did it. Um, but, you know, the good part about it is you know, he doesn't have to do it. I, I don't think he has to do that to prove anything to anyone or prove anything to himself. The only reason he'd do it um, is if he thought that he would really enjoy it. You know, I think Landon's definitely making decisions right now in his life and in his playing career based on where he thinks and what he thinks will bring him the most joy, not the most money, not the most uh, acclaim, not the most... Uh, you know, respect, you know, he just wants to go enjoy, uh, you know, you don't know how much longer you have and he wants to make sure that these last years uh, that he has are, are uh, you know, are some of his best. Is he a guy that likes or that needs to be challenged by someone else? And I ask that because if he does make a move overseas, what he did to the Galaxy at the beginning of this year definitely would not fly. No, it didn't. Well, of course it wouldn't fly anywhere else, but here's the thing. Find another player like Landon Donovan that literally, since he was a teenager, was the, the hopes of True. building a game in a country. I mean, True. He, he had expectations on him, and I was there for most of them, that no other American athlete in this country has ever had the pressures and the, and the expectations based on you being really the only one asked for interviews, you being the only one brought into every single camp, you being the only one brought into every single media blitz for, for MLS. I mean, he, from, from the start, he's had more to deal with than any other American player ever has. So I've got a lot of sympathy for him because I watched it and watched 
how hard it was to deal with it, and he never really complained. He just he did it all. So finally, he wanted to take some time for his, himself, and you know some people had a some people had a problem with that. But look, Landon came back, and he's a much better soccer player for it. So is, is, is now are people upset that there's a better Landon Donovan back? I mean, I would hope not. <laughs> As we segue into your current gig, I got to ask you, you talked about your injuries and, and they eventually forced you from the game. How are you health wise these days? You know, I, I talked to Aleko Eskandarian. I talked to Taylor Twelman. You didn't have a head injury, but you did have an injury that that you were told if you kept playing, you could do damage to yourself in the future. By stopping playing, uh, are you now like healthy or 100 percent? Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent of of sixty <laughs> percent. <laughs> I mean, I uh, I I if you'll notice when I'm calling games in the stadium, I have a stool next to me because I have to sit down every now and then like an eighty year old man. <laughs> um, but I'm doing good, you know. I mean, uh, it's I, I I've I've definitely stopped feeling sorry for myself. I had a long career. I had a blast. I got to do so many cool things. I made so many amazing friends. Got to meet so many incredible fans. And now I'm in love with the game in a completely different way for the first time in a long time. So you know, I mean, do the hips bother me every now and then? Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 nothing. Uh, it's nothing that puts a frown on my face with what I get to do every day. And I know you don't want to be compared to Landon Donovan, but as I hear you explain this, I think to myself that you kind of are in a similar situation as Landon Donovan. You're the only American voice on NBC Sports Network's Premier League coverage. Um, a lot of Euro snobs, a lot of expats from, from England who are tuning into the channel to to watch their matches you're you're the the guy that they're looking at going well who's this guy with the american accent that's a lot of, do you fe- do you do you understand that pressure do you feel that pressure and and what do you think about that pressure yeah i know i totally understand that and you know I, I saw it when i was at fox covering the premier league but fortunately there was other americans that uh, i could deflect uh, some of the criticism <laughs> too, every now and then but no you know I get it. You know, here's the thing. They're so passionate about their league. They're very protective about it. It's, it, you know, it's, it's their baby. So I understand and completely appreciate, um, you know, that, that they might be a little bit hypersensitive about, you know, an outsider coming in to comment on or, or be considered an expert on their league. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. The, the, the opening weekend, I knew that uh, the first you know, mispronunciation or first stat I got wrong, the first thing I said wrong, you know, I was going to get crushed. And even if I didn't, I was going to get crushed by people anyway. And I yeah. was sort of prepared for that. But I was actually so, you know, so overwhelmed and surprised with the response I got, which is, is a huge positive because I was expecting Americans don't know anything. You know, who's this American guy? You know, this, that, and, and the response I got, and the and, uh, response I got from a lot of expats was so um, supportive. And, uh, you know, I think there is a shift in that perception that, uh, you know, the accent and, and where you're from um, is, is more important than the content and, and what's actually coming out of your mouth. Um, so I, I was so, I was definitely relieved, but also so excited and optimistic about the positive response I got from so many of those hardcore expats that are impossible to please. And, and, you know, I think it's a shift towards, um, them just sort of accepting that, 
you know, we all just love this game. You yeah. know, I grew up watching the Premier League. Yeah, I grew I grew up watching it too, and we're all such huge fans of this. So let's just all be big fans together. And there are going to be people that'll hate me, and and you know, that's the job that I get, and that's the spotlight I put myself in. So I can't feel sorry for myself, and I can't complain about that. And you know, for for the people that that want to enjoy and want to. Uh, appreciate that we're fans and we're in love with this game just like they are. Those are the people that, you know, I love when they, they pop on, on Twitter or on the street and say something and you're just like, you know, the, that, that's the fan that, uh, that, I, that I was when I was sitting watching this game. And I think your role is so important. I thought the Robbies and I thought uh, Rebecca Lowe were fantastic. Uh, the coverage was just, it was Taking the coverage of soccer, no matter what league, you guys took it up a notch, and you've done that when you got the MLS coverage uh, for NBC Sports Network, and it's going even higher now with Barclays Premier League. But you know, to me, the the expats and the Euro snobs they're they're going to watch no matter what is going on pregame or halftime or match of the day highlights. They're watching because they're coming for the league. So having a guy with an American accent who knows his stuff there. To me, that's a that is a win, and that's a chance to go. Look, you have to watch now. Whether you choose to not watch MLS is on you. But I'm here, and you have to watch because you're watching your league. Now I'm going to prove to you that I know my stuff, and I, I just think that your role is so vital. Yeah, thanks, man. And I mean, you know what's 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 more important for me is um, you know Rebecca Lowe, Robbie Musto, Robbie Earl. Those guys are outstanding. And anytime when I was a player, you played with good players, it brought your game up. So they they uh, they are the teammates I could only wish for. But what's important is. Um, you know, expats like me or not, you know, of course it's great to have the, their support and great to have them give you their sort of um, stamp of approval. But what's important to me is I want to reach out and I want to connect and grow this American audience. Yep. You know, there's 20 million people watching NFL on a Sunday night. I, I want I want to tap into that group. And if there's anything about me being an American or anything about the way I talk about the game, um, that, that delivers it in a way that invites them a little bit more, makes them feel a little more involved, and includes them, and makes them take ownership and equity in this league, and say, "Oh, wait, this isn't this isn't. I know this league's over in England, but this doesn't feel imported. This is our this is our game too. Exactly. We can be fans of this. If if I can touch any of those people, if I can get any of those guys hooked." Then it's such a win. I mean, that's so much more important to me than than having some of the Euro snobs, as, as you call them, uh, you know, say, "Okay, this guy's okay." You know, how helpful was it for you to be able to sit out the first day and watch the show as it's presented on Saturday, and then jump in on Sunday, or would you rather have just gotten just dove into the deep end and say, "Let's just get it going"? Um, yeah, it was helpful because those guys did such an outstanding job, and I got to sort of see how they got through it and. Uh, and all that, but what, what was difficult was I, I was doing the uh, Red Bulls uh, Union game, so I, I basically, you know, was was watching a little bit of the games, um, and and then just got into MLS mode, went over to Red Bull Arena, called the game there, and hopped in a car and got to Stanford at like 1 a.m. to be in the studio at 6 a.m. Wow. So it was uh, it was not an ideal first weekend for me, but. The, but again, the, the team I have at NBC, the support, uh, I mean, there's, there's 20 or 30 people that are in that uh, complex working on Premier League, making sure everything runs smoothly and goes good. I mean, it's no, I mean a lot of people have been given uh, great you know, compliments about the opening weekend, but 
you know, they have to understand that, uh, and they probably wouldn't be surprised if they saw how many really professional, incredible, talented people are involved in making sure that thing is the, the best viewing and the, and the best broadcast that we can possibly send out to people. When you guys have uplink problems uh, as you do a satellite feed to uh, the stadiums in England, um, are you? Or do you begin to sweat? Do you look at Rebecca going, <laughs> okay, okay, Rebecca, your job, your job, your job? You know what's amazing about her is she's unflappable. She's like, you'll watch her, watch her all season long. Nothing, nothing can shake that girl. She's incredible. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's live TV. So at this yeah. point, I've been doing live sports for long enough where nothing's going to be perfect. And, uh, you know, you just don't, you don't freak out. And what's funny is some people get really upset at certain things like, oh, feed did this, sound did this. And NBC doesn't even have control of those things. Yeah. So it's funny, it's, it's funny that some of the criticisms uh, of, the, of the opening weekend were things that weren't even NBC's control. And, you know, that, that's a positive. When you have an opening weekend and some of the biggest complaints were something that you had no control over, um, you know, that's, that's a pretty... That's a pretty good weekend, technically. Well, and also, I, I always feel like, and I know you're not going to agree because you all, everybody wants to be 100% all the time. We're getting every single game that's being played over there, which is more than they're getting at, in the actual country where the games are being played. <laughs> I know. You know, what, what someone asked me earlier, uh, they, were, they said, uh, is this too much? You know, are, we, are, we, are we delivering too much? Are we giving too much to the American fan base? And then what I said to that is, you know, I, when I grew up watching the league, I was one of my teams that I loved watching was Bolton because I, I, I follow players. I don't follow teams. And JJ Okocha was someone yes. that I just couldn't take my eyes off of. But I, I literally could see Bolton every like eight games. You know what I mean? So, so it was like, you know, you saw them probably two, three times a year. So every weekend I'd flip on and be like, ah, oh, man, Bolton's not playing. Ah, oh, yeah, Bolton's <laughs> not playing. And so now the, now the, the Kyle Martino that loves Bolton gets to watch every single Bolton game. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, the, I'm an Ajax fan because when I was a kid, ESPN2 had the rights and would play them 8 o'clock Sunday morning, and they were undefeated that season, so they were on every single week. So that was the only team I was watching every week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And also, I mean, the, the the relegation battle is just as exciting as yeah. the as the title race. So you want to be, you want to know these teams. You want to know, uh, you know, what's going on with Sunderland and, and Newcastle last year, and you know why you know, why are they giving up so many goals? Oh, there's a new coach that's coming. You want to know those little nuances because come those last you know three games, the last month of the season, it's going to be crazy drama, and you want to, you know, it's it, it's like walking in. And the last episode of Sopranos. I mean, how 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 confused and upset yeah. would you be? You'd be like, wait, what's going on? Is that guy <laughs> dead? Who's that? He's got a gun. Wait, did it, did he die? In your opinion? I have no idea. You want to know what's so funny about that analogy? I didn't watch the Sopranos. Oh come on! I know, what? I know. But you want to know what's good about that? Is now I can go back and start from day one. How envy? How envy? Yeah, their you don't have, you don't have to wait weeks or years for episodes. You can just start and finish whenever you want. <laughs> exactly. NBC Sports Network's Kyle Martino, thank you for being so generous with your time. We appreciate it, Kyle. Anytime, man. Love talking with you guys. For more show information, go to pitchpass.com.